Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the In Context and Culture podcast. I'm your host, Trent Roseman, joined as always with my co-host, Corey Majors. Uh, Corey, it's a Sunday. We don't usually record on a Sunday, um, but you just preached uh, a message this morning in the book of Revelation, I assume. And I did not do that, but I taught my class this morning, my young old class in the book of Revelation. How was your morning gathering? It was very, very good. Uh, I had a great time. Uh, I taught Revelation 14, 6 through 13. I think you said you taught uh, Revelation 5, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to be talking about Revelation 8. So we're all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try to have to get my head out of Revelation 5 to be in Revelation uh, you said eight. We're not in eight. Tonight. Well, it's the end of eight. Or, last verse of eight and chapter nine. That's Sorry. true. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, awesome. So where are you at in the book of revelation? Kind of give me a framework of thought what's happened so far. Uh, well, um, I'm in chapter 14 where you got the 144,000 and then you got three angel, three angels that send messages about the coming judgment. And, uh, I've already gone through, uh, the, the beast first and second beast uh no we've not got to the two oh yeah i've gone through the two witnesses as well right. it's chapter 11 yeah so, so for first and second beast would you say that most people think that the first beast they attribute that with the antichrist even though the second beast is the one that the number 666 is attributed to well no, I mean I would agree that the first one they attribute to is the Antichrist. Right. I would just say that six 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 is not attributed to the second one. Okay. So after going through it. Okay. Yeah, I'm interested to see and hear what you have to say about that. Then. So what is is six 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 attributed to either one of the beasts? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's attributed to the first one. Okay. And I think I think it is, um, not a literal person if that's what you're asking me but we're probably getting ahead here oh not necessarily i, I mean it could I be just... it could be one it could be a personification there could be one person in the future that that culminates that um but i think it's more than that as well you idealist all right um <laughs> can i can i say that out loud i think we're not using terms yeah. well um so hey we're we're in the chapter uh um not we're, we're in the chapter nine uh, we're in the ninth chapter of the book of Revelation t- today. Today, I'm having trouble talking today, Corey. I it's just, okay, man. You know, take a moment. Take a deep I'm breath. Sorry. It's going to be all right. I'll drink my sun-kissed orange for a second here. Ah, there we go. So we're in the end of chapter eight, right after the first four trumpets. Last week when we talked, Corey, I think that was my favorite episode we recorded together, at least in this season. And uh, we kind of started to disagree as far as when we believe the wrath of God will be poured out um, according to the trumpet judgments Mm -hmm. or um, uh, the trumpet judgments that are mentioned, we think differently of whether or not that's throughout the church age or to the end of the church age. We both believe it to be in the church age before the return of Christ, um, but you believe it to be representative of God's wrath being poured out throughout history from uh, at any point, maybe better said, at any point from ascension to descension, and I would tend to think it's probably more toward the descension, though we probably agree relative to other opinions more than most would in disagreement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, what's happened so far in the book is John has been translated up into heaven, 
to have a heavenly vantage point for some time now. He's seen God the Father on the throne. He is indescribable. He likens what he sees to precious stones. Uh, he sees the Holy Spirit uh, uh, in the form of seven torches before the throne. Uh, he weeps in chapter five because no one's worthy to open up the scroll, which is uh, the uh, the culmination of God's judgment and the redemption of God's people. Um, uh, and so he's weeping. And then the lamb who is worthy comes into heaven, if you will, uh, is, is present in heaven. The elder points John that direction and everybody sings and prays because uh, Jesus himself, by virtue of his death is the conquering worthy lamb able to oversee with the authority to do so, um, keeping the church secure and vindicating its people. Um, so uh, from that point forward, which we would look at like is the ascension, uh, God's uh, um, the seals got uh, Jesus opens the seals. Um, and it seems like we made the argument that those seals are throughout the church age. I mean, martyrdom is something that we're experiencing now, wars and pestilence and, and economic difficulties throughout the age, believers, unbelievers alike, um, not because of disbelief or disobedience, but experience this as a result of the fall. Uh, then the, uh, before the angels are able to make wrath uh, happen across the earth from God, uh, in chapter seven, uh, they're um, told to um, wait till all of God's people are sealed. We take the 144,000 to be representative of the great multitude, all of the God's people who are sealed and will not experience wrath, though they may be on the earth. And then we disagreed, of course, in chapter eight, where um, it seems like God is responding to uh, the prayers of his people to bring judgment upon unbelievers on the earth as to how that happens throughout time. I tend to think that's probably later on because God has told his people to rest a little while longer before he vindicates them. So I think it's a vindication toward the end. Uh, you would agree that's a vindication and an answer of prayer, but you would say that it's throughout the age. So um, now we find ourselves at Revelation 9, really the end of verse chapter eight, last verse in verse 13, and then chapter nine, which is not the first four trumpets, um, which I take, of course, as that vindication, as do you. Um, but now the last uh, um, three, we're just going to be in five and six, though, because seven is later on. Uh, these are uh, what are referred to not only as trumpet judgments, but trumpet judgments that uh, include woes, strong warnings. So, Corey, let's look at verse 13. Do you want to read all the way through chapter nine as well? How do you want to do this? I want to just read through um, chapter verse 12, and then if we have time, we'll go on to the rest. Does that work? Verse 13 of chapter 8? No, verse 12 of, I'll read from 8, 13 to 9, 12. How's that? Through 9, 12. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. Reading from the English Standard Version. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. 
He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power over the power, they were given power like the power of scorpions on, of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were like what looked like crowns of gold, their faces like human faces, their hair like woman's hair, like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. All right, so what's interesting here is as we transition from the fourth angel blowing the fourth trumpet during the trumpet judgments, we then have this eagle that comes out of nowhere that cries, and it cries, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on earth. Three woes, uh, which uh, in other cases when we see like uh, a threefold uh, word used like holy, 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 it's um, intentionally emphatic, um, brings our attention towards something, but uh, it's also true that there's three woes to come. Uh, the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet judgment are considered themselves to be woes. And because, uh, and because of that warning, there's actually seems like in the judgment increased uh, hostility and anger from God toward uh, an unrepentant people that dwell on the earth. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. So as we get into these verses, would you make any comments on verse 13? Well, I just think it's important to, to understand that the word woe does mean impending judgment. Yeah. Um, that, that there is something severe getting, re getting ready to happen. And I would agree that, you know, the, the triad there, three woes, means it's going to be terrible. Um, so both emphatic and descriptive emphatic meaning Correct. whoa 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 like holy 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 mm -hmm. using a phrase of emphasis but also whoa one whoa two whoa three and we get the whoa one two and three uh not just seeing that there's three and then there's three to come but it actually says and of course verse 12 as you read the first woe basically has occurred there's two woes still to come so yeah yeah so uh now we come to what seems like a pretty um, horrific judgment, mm -hmm. um, which I think some people hearing uh, th these judgments of God um, begin to question, I think, the mercy and kindness and grace of God. And yet, I think what we need to remember, even through these judgments here, is God is still being patient. Um because at the end of even the sixth trumpet, uh, there are people who are unrepentant. In fact, yeah. it seems like uh, 
the rest of mankind who were not killed by the sixth trumpet are still unrepentant. And so God has been patient, not wishing them to perish. And yet they're um, the, the, the people who continue to worship false gods um, are wa- worshiping basically demons who are killing them, mm-hmm. which is very, very interesting. So God is patient throughout this. So, so lest we attribute um, unwarranted anger toward God, uh, let's remind ourselves that this is actually part of his patience, that he's not just wiping everyone off the face of the earth immediately. He is allowing time for repentance, even in these judgments. And I think, I think that's just one of the, one of the messages of revelation as a whole, because God did not have to reveal all of these things that were going to happen. Yeah. And yet he has, he has an advance um, that, like you said, some of this stuff is going to happen in the future. Like I preached, I preached a passage, the passage I preached this morning was uh, talking about the everlasting torment in hell. Well, some people would look at that and think what a terrible, what a terrible God that would, punish people like this, but there's advanced warning that this is going to happen. And if someone doesn't want to experience that, then they need to repent and believe. And in the same way, you look at these, these judgments, like who would want this kind of judgment to come upon them. And yet, even as you said, towards the end of chapter nine, some are still obstinate and hard of heart and refuse to believe. Um, yeah. But it's still his kindness and mercy to share in advance. So. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, before we get into these, Corey, I don't know if I'm crazy here, but I like to outline. So when I when I study uh, a passage of scripture, especially that I want to preach on maybe in the future or am preparing to preach on, I'm thinking through, okay, how can I outline this? And sometimes I have to give up and say this passage is so, so difficult to outline that I'm just not going to worry about an outline. I'm just going to preach through it right? First uh, John led me to do that a couple of times. Uh, but um, it seems like because we're looking at two different trumpet judgments, the fifth and the sixth, there seems to be a similar type of order here where you have basically what happens immediately after the trumpet is sounded. Then you have uh, what comes as a result, the pain that it brings. So maybe start with pain. So what comes as a result and the pain that it brings then the appearance of the things that are, and then the response of mankind. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have basically fifth angel, um, what happens immediately. So star falling uh, opens a bottomless pit. Then there's these locust like scorpion like things that inflict insane pain. Excuse my rhyme there. And then there's man's response. People seek death and long to die. And then in the sixth trumpet, and we'll walk through them slowly, but there is um, uh, uh, basically another uh, um, uh, outpouring of wrath. Uh, So you've got mounted troops, you've got uh, these angels that are released to kill. uh, And then, so that's the pain they bring. It even mentions uh, that they have, um, if I remember right, uh, do they also have something similar to uh, you know, uh, power of horses, uh, their mouths, their tails, all these different things, their appearance, and then man's response. They weren't killed. They did not repent, right? So um, do you see a similar structure in that where it's basically pain and purpose, appearance, response? 
Did you see anything I like can that? See it since, I can see it since you said that. Like, I didn't pick that up whenever whenever I was preaching because I preached these, the, the whole thing separately. So, like, I went through verse uh, okay. 12 in sure. my first sermon. In the second sermon, I went 13 through the end. And so, were we, were we so intending I did not to go pick through? up on those. Were we Do intending what? to go through all, both of them? We can. Okay. We can just do we can just do the fifth one. Okay, so help me out, Corey. Let's walk through chapter nine. Tell me what you see. Tell me well, what first it is. of all, first of all, we see the the star fallen from heaven uh, that was given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And some people would look at that and correlate it with I think Revelation twenty, where there's an angel that comes down from heaven. Um, and so some people think that this star. Uh, is is a heavenly angel, and some people think that it's um, it's the enemy, it's Satan, that is described as a star. I think even in the Old Testament, he's described um, what do they call what's the um, morning star? I believe is what he's described as in the Old Testament. And so here, because it's because he's described as a star that has fallen from heaven to earth. I would tend to think that that is descriptive of, of Satan. And part of the reason I believe that is because you get to the end there in verse 11, is king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon and Greek is Apollyon. Well, both of those names literally mean destroyer. Mm-hmm. And so it seems to me that it seems to me that the identity of this fallen angel would be Satan who is given power, who is given the key. Now, now we know that Jesus has the key of uh, death and Hades, um, and, and that key symbolized authority. He had authority over death and Hades because he's conquered. Well, the key here would also symbolize authority uh, to open that bottomless pit and release, um, release this smoke and locust that would come from it. Mm. So any, any uh, thoughts on that? No, I think I would agree. Um, and I know we had some disagreements of the day on this, right? But I, I think you're right. I think this is the, I think it's always difficult to just be clear with, okay, this is definitely Satan and basically his descent from heaven to earth. Uh, but this character says he was given the key to the shaft at the bottom of his pit. So it's an individual. It's not just an actual star. We can get that pretty quick, right? Sometimes, John writes very much uh, uh, or very symbolically, but it seems here that he is clarifying his symbolism to say it's an individual. That individual goes to the bottomless pit, basically opens it up and wrath comes out or demonic activity comes out. You mentioned verse 11. I think verse 11 attributes the angel of the bottomless pit. That is the angel, the star that comes down, right? As the king over those in the bottomless pit which is the destroyer. So yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I think it's, I think this is Satan basically um, falling from heaven to earth to unleash uh, demonic activity across the earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Throughout the earth. Um, one thing that I just want to mention before we really get into this whole locust thing. Um, so what we've seen, I think so far, even with, okay, Christ's ascent into heaven is that he uh, holds the scroll in his hand, which I think is that both 
the redemption of all of God's people, the security of his church, consummation of all things, and the judgment against the earth. He holds that in his hand. He is the overseer over that. Uh, There's no authority in heaven on earth. He does not have even uh, at his ascension, right? Right. Uh, That's Matthew 28, right? If you want to argue with that, you have to argue with Matthew 28. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, right? Uh, So he goes up to the right hand of the father. Uh, All enemies will be made a footstool under his feet. So what's interesting here is that God is limiting this consistently. So Mm -hmm. which, which shows his patience, I think, but it also shows just his power. Basically, uh, Satan, his demons, and any sort of demonic activity is ultimately under the will of God. Yeah. Which, which we don't really think about that often. Like I, I just, you know, I, uh, um, you know, the God of this age is in control and they can't control. God's not in control and God will one day have control. No, God has control. Now look how often it says these phrases. They were given power. Verse three, verse four, they were told not to harm. That's verse four, verse four again, but only they could harm people who do not have the seal of God. Verse five, they were allowed to torment for five months, but not kill. Um, and uh, it, it just over and over and over. Hey, there's some things you, they can't do. And because ultimately the one who has them on a leash is Jesus. Jesus yeah. literally has them on a leash. And the great story of the end of Revelation is that leash that he has them on. He's going to literally pick them up and tie them, that leash to a tree. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's important to bring out too, because, you know, there's the, uh, the Eastern religion um, that many people, I don't know if they know this represents that or not, but the yin yang that says that there's a little bit of good and there's a little bit of darkness and light and a little bit of uh, light and darkness. And so they think there are these two, two forces, good and evil fighting against one another who have equal, have equal power. Well, that's not what the Bible reveals. There is a cosmic battle of good and evil, but good being God always has the upper hand. Um, and so we don't need to, we don't need to fear as believers. We don't need to fear that which God has control over because yeah. only what he allows, only what passes through the hand of God will we encounter. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's so. not a dualistic never ending battle for the universe. It's not right. like a Marvel MCU movie where right. you expect at the very end there to be this short little um, post credit scene of, oh no, they really didn't kill Thanos. No, there will be a decisive victory where yeah. God who has Satan on a leash will hang that leash from a tree saying done. Mm-hmm. So um, the world is not in the hands of two different opposing forces. The worlds are in the hand of a conquering king who's seated on the throne seated i mean he's not standing running around seated scroll in his hand it's already done yeah so um not only is his power seen there but it is patience uh and i think that's just worth repeating again that basically he's still wishing that people he knows will not repent might repent and not wishing as in uh hopelessly yet hopefully wishing but in showing his grace so that people to their shame don't repent mm-hmm. so these locust things okay so this this the star say locust things the destroyer satan himself goes and opens this pit and he's allowed to do so he's 
He's fallen from heaven. He's told to open the pit. He's allowed to open the pit. And all these locusts come out, which sting like scorpions. This is weird, Corey. Am I going to expect that in 2000 years or since America is not doing good right now, tomorrow, um, there's going to be a bunch of locusts that come into my house if God so chooses to have Revelation 9 begin? I don't think so. (laughs) And the reason, but I that's what it, so. but that's what it says, right? It does say that, um, but I, I don't think that I don't think we take these as literal beings for for a couple of reasons. Um, Old Testament imagery is often used in the New Testament to symbolize spiritual reality, and so we know that in the Old Testament there was a literal plague of locusts that God sent to. Um, sent to Egypt and they did not affect the children of Israel. Uh, But also you've got in Joel chapter one and two, you've got what's described as a plague of locusts, but it's in their model. It's kind of modeled after that Egyptian plague, but it does not describe literal locusts. It describes a coming nation up against the people of Israel. And so uh, while this is obviously not against the people of God because um, because they're not allowed to touch those who have been sealed, uh, I would I would in the same way say that this is a type of army coming against um, coming against humanity. And you know I don't want to get too far ahead of things here, but I don't believe it's just uh, an army from a regular nation. I think based on the way that they're described. I would, I would even call them a demonic army or a demonic horde. Um, and we can get into that in a moment. But, but we see here that they, they do have this power to sting like scorpions. Um, and another thing that we have to remember as well is in the New Testament symbolism, if you look back at um, Luke chapter 10, let me see what verse it is here, verse 19 Um, Jesus said, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. And so, so these scorpions and serpents were, were symbolic, even in the time that Jesus was teaching of evil forces. And so I would I would take that to mean that these these locusts are representative of de- demonic demonic beings. Hey, sorry I had to step out there for a minute, but I was listening. Um, do you think it's also important then because you just quoted Luke ten uh, nineteen, and forgive me if I'm you mentioned this already, but Luke ten nineteen says as you just read, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. But if you even go back a little bit further, um, Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The verse right before it. Mm. Do you, do you think that's also potentially um, an important reference to revelation? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is these two verses are put right next to each other at the return of the 72 after they've went and shared the gospel and basically seen demons subject to them and even come yeah. out of people. Um, and then Jesus responds, I see, or I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
now, now you can step on scorpions and and yeah. and, and locusts. And that, that's exactly, I mean, that's what happens in Revelation, right? Yeah. So, so are you saying potentially that, um, and, and help me out here. So the people of God are sealed here, sealed with the Holy right. Spirit. They're not going to counter the wrath of God, at least not in any direct way. Of course, you might see this happening throughout time. I think you would even argue probably that the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet are maybe closer to the end, right? Mm-hmm. So um, they're not experiencing this sort of locust type harm, right? No. Um, so uh, because of their sealing, one way that you could say that their interaction with locusts is, is they're just treading on that. They do not experience the sort of demonic activity against them that unbelievers will experience because they're the sort they're, they're the scorpion treaders, right? The locust treaders. Right. As funny as that may sound. Anything else you want to just mention about the locusts and their appearance? I, I didn't well, really I mean, spend any amount of time focusing on the appearance of, of these creatures. Well, I, I think they're, I think they are kind of a counterfeit. Like you have the, the, you have the four living creatures around the throne and one's like a lion and I can't lion, remember. Ox, um, man. Is it remember the other one. Anyway, <laughs> like they, they are representative or reflective of God's majesty and beauty and creation. Here, I think you have a counterfeit or a, not a counterfeit maybe, but a reflection of their king here. And so you have, a, you have the, the um, satanic four living creatures, if you will, kind of, kind of the way these things look, uh, they give different appearance. I mean, it's something really of nightmares. Like if you saw that, yeah. if you had a dream of that, like you would right. wake up scared to death. Um and so one thing I would say is that I do not believe, as some have said in the past, that these uh, scorpions or these locust scorpions, if you will, uh, I do not believe based on um, the fact that they have power in their tails and they have this noise from their wings. Like, I don't think they're helicopters, you know, like I don't think they're Blackhawks uh, that are up there and shooting uh, out missiles and stuff. Like there's been some, uh, discussion of that in some realms that these this is actually a physical army and these uh, this is descriptive of warfare and so this this could be uh, helicopters coming against the people of God or Israel or something like that but I don't because think... of because of iron breastplates iron right. looks like iron yeah. because of uh, the noise of many chariots right I mean how are you going to describe a helicopter noise? to someone who's never seen right. a helicopter, right? But seen a lot of, has seen a lot of horses. And then human faces, some, you know, uh, um, helicopters have painted on them different sorts of faces and right. um, icons and stuff like that. I um, just don't think the best way to, to find out what things are is to look at the future, especially in Revelation. I think you would look back at the symbolism from the Old Testament and find those things. And so like, that's what, I mean, looking, looking back, you, you find these other representations uh, in the four living creatures and in the old Testament of the cherubim and stuff. And so I think this is the counterpart on the satanic side of those things. Yeah. And if, and if there's a reference to Luke 10, 18 and 19 here, 
do we actually believe that Jesus was talking in that return of the 72 and his response to them, he was referring to Russian helicopters. I mean, that, that would, that would be the, you'd have to basically be able to argue that. Right. And, right. Yeah. Um, and so I think sometimes when you're bringing a framework to revelation, you have to begin making these assertions that you think are able to be made in the text with no, um, um, I guess with, with no, uh, actual contextual ability to make those assertions you're bringing something to the text whether that's a framework that's been built by someone who's taught the book of revelation or current cultural phenomenon that you're bringing to the book and i think john would even encourage his readers to say hey don't bring the latest military regalia in rome to the book read the book um, Mm -hmm. be in god's word and form your interpretation off of what is in here first and foremost before you bring some current cultural phenomena into the text and make it try to fit so that you understand it better in your own way separate from the text yeah yeah so um okay here's what we talked about for a long time the other day and i still think i have the same opinion so Corey, let me ask you this way before we even get to verse six, because verse six is very interesting to me. So uh, do you think this sort of torment they're experiencing is physical? You know, obviously it's spiritual, but physical, mental. Give me certain opinion on whether the because when we look at the sixth trumpet, it's definitely physical. People are physically dying. They're being killed by these angels and the mounted troops numbering 200 million. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to ride the fence here, but I'm giving myself latitude to be wrong. But I think if we if we look and see that this that the scorpions are, are representative, the locust scorpions are representative of demonic powers or evil powers, uh-huh. then I think it's fair to say that this is a, an emotional, psychological, spiritual um, torment. And I'm not saying that that never has a physical manifestation, right? But if it is, kill the pigs. It, do what? Kill the pigs. I don't understand what you mean. Demons went in the pigs; they killed themselves. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm not saying it never has a physical manifestation, uh, but I don't know. Like I don't know a whole lot of examples of yeah. physical physical infliction of pain whenever it comes to demonic things. But of course there is, there is some indication that the, the one, I think it was the, I don't know if it was a girl or a boy that was foaming at the mouth and throwing them, getting thrown into the fire, the demons threw them into the fire. Like it would almost seem that there was both a physical manifestation and a spiritual affliction going on there. Some kind of mental affliction. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you mean by sure. spiritual affliction? Because it is a spiritual affliction. Sure. Yeah. yeah fleshing yeah. itself out in physical and mental capacities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think there is some examples of physical harm done by dem- dem- demons, but I agree with you that they're more few and far between to say, okay, decisively, this must be physical. So I'd by no means think it's necessarily physical, but demons can work themselves or the destroyer himself, Satan, the accuser uh, can harm physically under the limitation of God, Job, right? He harms, you know, his family, he harms his um, crops, he harms uh, his, 
you know, houses and that, 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 that sort of thing. He brings boils on his body. Um, then you've got uh, Luke chapter, I want to say it's five, uh, where Jesus, uh, um, yeah, it's Luke chapter five, I believe, where Jesus is preaching in the synagogue and there's someone that announces who he is in the synagogue. You are you know, the Christ, I believe you, the son of God, the Holy one of God is what he says. And so God said, basically get out of the man. And he tried to throw him down to harm him. And it said he couldn't do that. So God prevented the demon, mm-hmm. even on his way out from harming the man. So the, the demon's intention in coming out was at least to do one last little thing to man and harming him, whether that be, right. you know, uh, something that could have killed him or just mainly just broke his wrist, you know, that kind of thing. But, yeah. um, Here's what's interesting that I think needs to be set. Regardless if it's mental or physical, it is tormenting them, the individuals, enough across the face of the earth. Not the people of God, who I just need to note again, are on the earth here. So thus far in the book of Revelation, we've had no mention of any sort of rapture. We would have to assert it bringing in 1 Thessalonians 4. But we'd also have to argue that the resurrection had simultaneously happened. So I don't think we've seen the resurrection yet or any sort of rapture. I think I just need to say that, right? right? So we're still in Revelation 9. There's been no mention of rapture. The church, as we would argue, it is on the face of the earth. They're just sealed so that they don't experience the wrath of God as the unbelievers do. That's what it says. Do not touch them, the sealed of God. Okay, that is verse four. So church, we would argue, still on the earth, not in resurrected bodies, but not experiencing this particular wrath of God. Now, the unbelievers who are, it says in verse six, in those days... People will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. So I I, I read G.K. Beale on this, Corey, and, and I mentioned this to you, and I really like G.K. Beale, but I think I, are, I, I think I don't agree with him here. So G.K. Beale says that, that, what, that what that means is that these individuals will want to die, I totally agree, yet be so afraid of death, they will not find it within their power to kill themselves. So I don't think that's within their, um, uh, uh, that they're limited in power to be able to necessarily do so uh, in the sense of like, uh, um, I, I don't want this, but that they want to do this, but they can't. It, so the text says, not that they're afraid to do it, but that they're seeking after it and they're longing for it. It doesn't say that, oh, they don't really want it. It's acting like they want it, but they don't want it. Well, the text doesn't give us that ability to basically say it's something that they didn't really want. It says, no, they want it, but they can't find it. They long for it, but it's fleeing from it. It's running from them. And so I think there's a sense in which God is prolonging pain and is adding the ability to repent to people's shame who don't. So I think as a part of this trumpet judgment, God is not allowing people to die in mass. I'm not saying people aren't dying. I'm not saying, uh, you know, no one's dying of old age. No one's doing this or that, right? But in mass, it doesn't seem like God is, I think as, as a part of this judgment, people are not dying, though they wish they could in the pain of whatever mental or physical pain the locusts are bringing upon them. God is yeah. prohibiting it. In, in judgment, uh, prolonging pain and patient that they might repent, even though he knows they won't, but it won't be for lack of his grace. So, so let me ask you, in light of our discussion just a second ago, and we yeah. haven't discussed this before, but like, do you think it could be possibly 
that uh, that we are talking about in some at some level some demonic possession of people. Um, if the Lord like has limited things like you were talking about a minute ago, because I, you know, demonic, like I think a lot of people get this idea of demonic possession as being, you know, the exorcist or whatever. Hollywood um, movie yeah, eyes yeah. flipping around spinning head. Yeah. And I would not even like, I don't think about the spinning head, but like, I would not even sure. did, you know, disagree about some of the physical effects that it can have on people. Um, but, I think demonic possession happens as people continually yield themselves to the enemy. And so it's not as if someday somebody wakes up and all of a sudden, boom, the devil possesses them, right? Like they've slowly given themselves over to him um, through their disobedience and rejection of Christ. And so uh, I wonder if there's just a progression of that in the life of people. Um, And, you know, although it does say that, it afflicts those who have not been sealed. So surely couldn't be everyone being possessed then, right? Uh, Yeah. So I I would lean away from as much as I want to just totally go with a sort of um, idealist approach, sort of approach here, maybe progressive approach here, not progressive in liberal theology, but progressive as in this just naturally grows and increases. Um, Mm -hmm because I think there's demonic activity even now. And I think that could increase, sure. but I would say this is probably some type of tangible, definite moment in time, uh, whether it's a decisive moment or not, it is not what we're seeing now. Same with God's sure. wrath. Whereas I don't think we're seeing, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know that we're seeing most of the trumpets at this moment. Right. I, I think this is a decisive moment in the future. Right. Yeah. I think yeah, I and here's, here's a reason why, because verse six, it says people want to die. They long for it and it flees from them. Well, isn't that the opposite of what like we've experienced right, right now from, from unbelievers, they want to live. Right. Um, even though they complain about living, being a quote unquote hellhole, right? Like people are chasing after the Holy grail. How long can I work out to pr- prolong my life? Even though I act miserable throughout my rest of my life in this moment, they're wanting death and they're not afraid of saying they're wanting death, but God won't give it to them. Right. Mm-hmm. God won't give them life when they want it. And now he won't give them death when they want it. Right. So um, I think people do experience common grace. And I think at this point in time, it would be common judgment and common grace. They want to live longer Um to do what they want to do. Um, and this common judgment that unbelievers will experience, they don't want to live anymore and God won't give them out of either. Yeah. I, I, I would say that, that, that depends on the individual. Honestly. Sure. Like sure. The, sure. Sure. In um, mass painting broad yeah. brushstrokes here. Yeah. 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 Because I wouldn't even say, okay, everybody's tormented in the exact same way in this time. I think that would be painting in too broad of brushstrokes here, but I would say that we're probably not experiencing a time where the bottomless pit has been opened and locusts, whatever they are, are tormenting people across the earth. I, I don't know that we see that in mass. Yeah. Although sometimes I wonder, like, if God would open our eyes to see all of the stuff going on, like, For sure. you know, I think it would be far greater than what we realize most of the time. Yeah. 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 I, I just wonder if th- there's going to be more of a people of God standing um, sealed, not experiencing the things that the unbelievers will experience. Um, Because it seems like 
believers understand even today the um, the provision of God, whereas unbelievers don't. Meaning like we experience persecution, but we think God has allowed us to live thus long and with the things we have and been so gracious to us. And it is true that those things are all true. But it seems like there's going to be this time in the future where unbelievers won't experience anything that the locusts have to bring where right. unbelievers uh, unbelievers will and i almost think it'll be to the shame as rude as it may sound it's, i don't think it's rude but the, almost the shame of the unbelievers is god's people are standing as witness to no we're, we're, we're sealed we're god's people here well i think that i think that tells you the power of the enemy to either blind people or the power of a pride in a man's heart that they would visibly see that others are not being afflicted. And the only difference between them and those others are, is, is their confession of Christ. Yeah. And maybe, maybe you have, maybe in that pride, you explain away uh, what that is. I don't know. Um, but that is, that is an amazing obstinance or hardness of heart that somebody would do that. Well, it took Nebuchadnezzar guess, seven years eating grass like an ox to basically realize that, oh, yeah, I probably should repent. This is exactly verbatim what Daniel told me would happen. Gosh, yeah. seven years of eating grass is a long time to basically see Daniel just fine in his kingdom that's not even his. Well, and and I was going to say, too, uh, Pharaoh, I mean, all of the mm-hmm. things that happened against him. And I mean, we know the Hebrews that, are living life. Yeah, we know that God hardened his heart, but there was he hardened his heart because there was unbelief. Yeah. No. So, and yeah. like, and you'd think you it's took my a, son's life. I know that you're this powerful God. Uh, I'm not going to change my mind again and go and try to kill them at the sea. Like if you can kill in mass, these boys across the face of the earth probably shouldn't walk into a sea that you've parted in two separate parts. seems like if you've parted them, you can probably close them. Right. Um, and yet I think the pride of man does uh, also blind the eyes of man. Yeah. Cause ultimately, ultimately the sinful heart of man exalts itself over God all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And so tries to, tries to place itself in the place of God. And so I guess to be logically consistent, it, it you would, go in like even yeah. if you think you're more powerful than god even though he's part of the red sea uh, i will go in after spiritual blindness spiritual blindness um leads to physical blindness yeah truly if i am my own god uh and i truly believe that then you don't tell me what to do you don't tell me what to believe um I can uh, do that which my heart desires because that is my will and my will be done. I would nuance what you said. Whenever you said spiritual blindness leads to physical blindness, you're not meaning that you're not going to be able to see your computer screen. You mean that you're going to exalt yourself over. That I am God. I'm walking through the waters. Yeah. 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 And gosh, are you not blind? You're like the locusts were pretty bad. Um, Frogs were also pretty bad. The blood water was pretty bad. Um, now your son's dead. 
and the God who's done all this quite clearly. I mean, is there really any thoughts that any other God's done this when you've been told, hey, tomorrow this is going to happen and it happens uh, 10 times is pretty much enough times to basically say, yeah, I'll probably not do that. Then you see waters opened up and you're still charging the people that are basically attributed to bringing this upon you. Mm -hmm. Physical blindness, man. I mean, that sounds like a bad idea, right? I don't want to walk in that water. No go for me, right? So, um, I mean, it was, it was probably scary enough for the Hebrews to walk through it because they had sure. seen what God had done against the Egyptians, much yeah. less the blind Egyptians just being like, oh, I'm going to do it. Yeah, it's wild. Except for the fact that Moses already told them to, all you have to do is be still and you will see the Lord's salvation. And so at some level, even though it probably was scary, and I don't, I don't want to ever downplay the awe and fear of the Lord that they had whenever he descended on Sinai or even performed these other miracles, but at least you had the hope that this is salvation for us uh, right. rather than, rather than destruction. Yeah. And, and faith is, you know, easier talked about than it is practiced. Right. Absolutely. Uh, right. But yeah, you're right. that They, they were promised uh, by their covenant God that they would be delivered when Egypt, gosh, they didn't have those promises. They only saw destruction. Yeah in past and then would at present. Do you want to give a quick overview of the next woe or do you want to end? Let's end it, man. Let's do it. Close okay. up shop, brother. Well, we want to thank you for uh, being with us again this time. We're going to continue. Uh, we just talked through the first woe. We will come back to the second woe, which is the sixth trumpet. Uh, the next time we meet together. We hope this is uh, beneficial for you. Uh, we again encourage you anytime to ask questions. You can put that on our Facebook page. You can put it, uh, you can comment on any of the social media and we'll be happy to answer any questions we can as we go through this. And uh, we always want to, again, want to say that uh, we are just two uh, fallible men, get your, uh, get your Bible out and look at this for yourself. Let the spirit of God, uh, guide you through the book of revelation, because it really is meant to be a blessing for you. And so, uh, sit down and read it all in one setting if you can, and then go back and begin to study because it will bless you, uh, as you do. So, um, I, I guess with that, I'm going to pray for us and we'll be done. How's that? Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Uh, we thank you for your grace. And uh, we pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, you would begin even more and more to reveal yourself through this book. And we ask these things in Christ's name. We'll see you next time.